Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. All right, saints. Good to be together today. We're going to be looking at another reason that Christ came. Thank you for circling up around those two teams that we're sending out. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And so we love to send some of our people out to serve and help other churches. Look forward to hearing reports. We're in week three of our Advent series, Why Christ Christ Came. Thank you to Harrison and Kaylee for preaching, and we're going to be back in Acts chapter 17, the turn of the year, but today we're going to look at two further reasons that Christ came. The first one is to reign as king, and the second one is to transform his people. In other words, Jesus is Lord, and he's the life changer. So if you want to get your Bible ready. I encourage you to bring your Bible. I've seen more Bibles here, and that's a good thing. A lot of you use your phone, but that can be distracting, so it's good to bring a a Bible. We have study Bibles and Bibles out in the Resource Center. Study Bibles are at cost, and then the free Bibles are the pew Bibles that we've got there, NIV and NRSV, but we're going to be looking at several passages here as we look at Jesus coming to reign as king. And friends, I want to encourage you up front here. This can be, this is as rich as it gets theologically. Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Father sent him to come and reign as king. That's like one of the dominant themes in all of Scripture. It's the unifying thread of all of Scripture. And sometimes we can think, ah, where's the practicality in this? How does this apply to my life? And I just want to tell you this morning, if you will get an ongoing vision and glimpse of Jesus as king, it can change your life. There's not a single area in your life that this won't touch. A revelation of the Lord Jesus as king, as a good Lord who cares about you, who rules over you, rules over your life. I want to start by pointing us to Psalm 95. Jesus came to reign as king, but we need to back up a little bit and realize that God the Father is the creator and Lord of all things. And the scriptures are abundantly clear on that. In Psalm 95, I just want to give you a little sample here and then paint a little bit of backdrop for the fact that Jesus Christ came to reign as king and Lord. In Psalm 95, 3 through 6, it says this about God the Father. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. 
In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And the dry land, which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So the Psalms shout this. The entire Old Testament makes it abundantly clear that God the Father created everything and rules over everything. It's all his. But the story doesn't end there. God the Father promised through the Old Testament prophets, through the Hebrew prophets, to send a human messianic king. Let's look at a couple of passages here. And again, we could unpack this for some time. God promised a leader who would come and reconcile human beings to himself. A leader who would restore human beings to God's original intended purposes. A messianic leader who would heal and renewal not just human beings but all of creation. And then one day establish God's just kingly rule over all creation. Look at Daniel 7. This is a well-known passage about God promising a messianic king. And he gives Daniel, the prophet, this young prophet, a glimpse of this coming messianic king. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. In his vision, Daniel's watching in the night visions and he sees one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one, to God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. So the Lord God Almighty gives Daniel a picture, a glimpse of that coming human king, the Lord Jesus. Look at Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. A beautiful Advent passage about the promised Lord Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Again, the promised king, the Lord Jesus, Isaiah prophesying, saying this, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God promised to send a messianic king. He would be born a little baby and he would be placed in a little wooden manger. Little did we know that that was a glimpse, that little manger became a throne. Right, That was the king, a little baby born in an obscure town in Israel. Then we go on to read, Jesus not only fulfilled the promises to be messianic king, but he comes and he inaugurates the kingdom of God. 
He establishes the kingdom of God in a historic way. Look at Mark 1, 14 through 15. This is a passage that we reference quite often because we believe that Jesus is our model, and so we watch the way he does it, the way he does life, the way he does ministry, and Mark 1, 14 through 15. I call Mark the Jackie Chan gospel because right from the beginning there's action. And so for the next 16 chapters, it's nonstop action. The word and immediately appearing over and over again. So Mark 1, 14 to 15, this promised messianic king, the Lord Jesus is going to show us that in his life and his ministry, he bears the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom of God in the flesh. Look at what Mark says. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus proclaims the gospel, the good news of God, saying that that promised moment has arrived. The time when God's kingdom is breaking into human history like never before. The presence, the rule, the reign of God is here. And he calls for people to repent, doesn't he? Because the king is here, the kingdom is here, Jesus calls for a decisive turn, whatever it is in your life that would keep you from a relationship with your maker, with your creator, turn from it. Receive the grace and mercy of God. Surrender to the authority of the creator and to his Christ, the appointed king, Jesus. Now the rest of Mark 1 goes on to show not only does Jesus announce the king is here, the kingdom is here, but then he begins to demonstrate it right Off the bat, he goes and he finds oppressed people. There's a young demonized man, and Jesus goes and demonstrates his kingly authority by driving a demon out of this young man and setting him free. So he's not just a matter of talk. He's not just teaching things, but he's actually enacting the kingdom of God through his life. Now, we could look at this at length. We already did in Acts 2, but the Apostle Peter talks about Jesus inaugurating, bringing in, ushering the kingdom of God, the kingly rule of God through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You can go back and revisit Acts 2, but this is essentially what the Apostle Peter was saying. He was laying out the gospel for the church for all time 2,000 years ago. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is poured out because Christ has been crucified. The promised Messiah has been raised from the dead. He's ascended to God's right hand and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And this Jesus has been declared Lord and Christ. Acts 2.36 says, so friends, Christ came to rule and reign as king. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the heart of who we are. We serve the king of kings and lord of lords. Look at Revelation eleven fifteen, A stunning passage here. 
These are some big theological words. Jesus basically inaugurates, he brings, he ushers in the kingdom of God. It breaks into human history like never before. And then scripture promises us that he is going to wrap it all up. He's going to complete it. He's going to consummate the kingdom of God. Revelation eleven fifteen says this. And again, these prophets have glimpses into realities one day that will transpire on the earth. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Friends, this is the story. This is the crux of the whole biblical narrative. Christ has come. Christ has brought the kingdom of God. He's authorized us to be servants of the kingdom of God and his power and his authority, and he's going to come back one day as king of kings and lord of lords and deliver the kingdoms of the world to the Father, and he will be king. One of my favorite illustrations on this, kind of the already nature of the kingdom and the not yet, is from World War II. Some of you have heard it. It comes from the history around World War II, and it helps gives us a better picture. I think of it regularly when I look at kingdom passages in the scriptures. Got a couple of images here. In June of 1944, the Allied troops, including the American troops, stormed the beaches of Normandy in northwest France. There's a real picture there. This was June 6th of 1944. And these soldiers, one wave after another, after another, they pushed the German army all the way back into Germany. And so decisive was this moment, it became known as D-Day. A lot of casualties, but the victory was really decided at this moment. But it wasn't until 11 months later, the fierce fighting is continuing for almost a year, the German army wouldn't surrender even though they were defeated, and they finally surrendered and a ceasefire happened an event known as V-Day or Victory Day. And I've got a picture up there, May of 1945, May 8th. It became a day of celebration when that victory was finalized and secured. And friends, we live in an interim kind of like that between 1944 and 45. The king has come. He's defanged the enemy. He's defeated the enemy. He stripped him. And now we're in this period of applying the victory of Jesus. But there's still real fighting, real warfare to be had. And it's really the mystery of the kingdom that Christ has won the victory. He is king. He is Lord now. But the church has to work and persevere and apply his victory until he comes again. A second thing that we're looking at here, Jesus is king. Is that glorious? He's the promised king. He's come. I encourage you to get on your knees. Get on your face before him during Advent through all the craziness. Get down on your knees before the king and give yourself to him afresh. Surrender to him. Pour out your heart to him. And if you catch little glimpses through scripture, 
through prayer, through interaction with one another, through worship, that he in fact is king, it will transform your life. It will help you with anxiety. It will help you with addiction. It's actually the secret to relationships and healthy marriages is to be in submission to the king together. A second thing, and oftentimes this doesn't really get paired with the revelation of Jesus as king, is the fact that Jesus has come as king to transform us. There's a passage in here that came up in this little Advent book that we were using. How many of you use the Advent book, those 31 meditations on the incarnation? I know we sold out of a few dozen of those. It's a wonderful little booklet, but one of the chapters was on 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. I want us to end with this. Jesus came to make us partakers of the divine nature. This is one of those verses that is often overlooked or avoided because it's so often misunderstood. But friends, it's the word of God and there's something beautiful about the coming of Christ in it. Second Peter 1, 3 to 4 says this. His or Christ's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them, these promises, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. Did I read that right? Did you know because Christ came, if you put your faith in him, you give your life to him, you're a member in his body, you actually become a participant in the divine nature. Almost sounds too much, doesn't it? You become a partaker of the divine nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so this passage really is about our transformation. The king transforms us. And this is the foundation of our transformation. What is found in these little verses right here. It's God's divine power in Christ, which raised Christ from the dead, by which Christ calls men and women like us and freely shares his power with us giving us everything we need. Look at that. Everything needed for life and godliness. Living in a way that reflects Christ's character. So the foundation of our transformation, yours, mine, saved sinners, is God's divine power in Christ. And then look at what the text says. It's also rooted in the knowledge of Jesus. This isn't just a memorization of facts, but the knowledge that the Apostle Peter is talking about here is a deep, full, intimate knowledge that's born out of friendship with Jesus. The kind of knowledge that shows us his own glory and goodness. And then look at this, friends. This is, again, how we partake of the divine nature. We're going to get to that in a minute, but it's because look at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4. He has given us his power rooted in the knowledge of him, his glory, his goodness, through his precious promises. Where do you think we find those? In the word of God, 
right? And these are the promises that Christ gave. Many think that it's speaking of God, but it's speaking of Christ. So all of the promises that we have recorded, that Christ would send the Holy Spirit another helper, that he would not leave us alone, he would remain with us forever, that we would abide in him, that we would know the Father and experience the love of the Father, that we would be with him and become like him. These are just a few of the promises that Scripture lays out. And now we get to this point here that's often misunderstood. These are the foundations, and this is the fruit or the result of these kinds of glorious things. We escape from the corruption in the world because of lust, but then we become participants, partakers. It's actually the same word that's used for fellowship. Koinonia, you become a fellowshipper with the divine nature. Now, some of you, your minds are probably going to where this has been misunderstood, right? Anybody else think about the teachings of the Mormon church? This is not saying that you become a god, that somehow you will become a little god and rule your own planet one day and populate it with people. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's not teaching that you'll be absorbed into God like the Hindu scriptures teach or the New Age movement, kind of a mishmash of those various things. It's not saying any of that because we know from the rest of scripture we always remain creatures. He is always creator, and we are always creatures. Amen? But there is something very real that is startling here that almost sounds borderline blasphemous. You and I, in a very real way, through Christ, become partakers of. We fellowship with the divine nature. We don't think about that enough. Friends, that's what you're called to. You and I are called to partake of God in a way that's startling. That's our calling. So when we're down in the dumps, groveling in the mud, woe is me, I'm good for nothing, I can't do anything, remind yourself, you know what? I am destined to partake of the very divine nature of God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's getting at when Jesus talks about in John 14, he talks about the Holy Trinity will make up, make a home in you. You'll abide in the Father. The Holy Spirit will abide in you. You will abide in me. That's partaking of the divine nature in a very real way. Now, the early church saw passages like this, and there were all kinds of heresies, false teachings swirling around, and the early church fathers said that we do partake of the divine nature through faith in Christ but it's kind of like a sword that's thrust into a fire. Think about what happens to that sword. That sword, if it's kept in the fire long enough, takes on the character of the flame, right? You take that sword out and it looks bright red, just like the fire. But at no point does that sword change from being a sword to fire. And the early church father said, so it is with us. We partake of the divine nature. We are put into relationship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. And we take on his character, his nature. We become more and more Christ-like. 
The fruits of the Spirit are born and grown in our lives. But at no point does that shift happen where we become God's. We always belong to God as his children. And friends, this happens in the grind of everyday life. I hate to tell you, but you don't partake of the divine nature on one day and say, that is awesome. I've partaken of the divine nature, and so the next 40 years, I get to cruise through life. You partake of the divine nature by spending time with the Lord Jesus each day. Reading the scriptures, praying, doing what he said, hiding his word in your heart, learning to endure and persist. But friends, the day is coming when you will partake of the divine nature in a way that you will be fully like Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says that we're going to see him one day and be changed into his likeness in a more complete way. We'll be even given a body like his resurrection body. And that's what Peter is getting at here. And friends, there's probably no other way that's greater to partake of the divine nature together than Holy Communion. So why don't we stand? Jesus came to reign as king. He's your king. He's my king. We belong to him. We give ourselves to him. And then the king wants to change us, to transform us. And one of the primary ways that he does that and reminds us of that is through the table, through celebrating his death, his resurrection, the Father's love for us. And really what we're saying here is we must be nourished by you, Jesus. You are our food. You're our everything. And we typically read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. If you want to look at it in your Bible, I'm going to read where the Apostle Paul gives directions on this. And I'm going to ask the servers to go ahead and come up. We're going to have five pairs of servers here if you want to come up and get the elements here while I'm reading. The Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you can proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Father, we thank you for the King. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for us. We invite your presence to be with us. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So you can make your way up here, and we have gluten-free right here. All right, and we have servers in the middle back here and in the back. So we've got plenty of stations. Come to the table, friends.